Hey folks, super quick intro here at the top. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the founder of The Ag Ship, uh, as you likely know. Um, you can subscribe to The Ag Ship, www.theagship.com, for either 6 or $10 a month. The $10 a month tier would get you, for example, um, a really extensive film preview of Yukon that I just put out. Um, I'm recording this intro Thursday evening, so I put this out earlier today. Uh, I really don't think you're going to get a more detailed look at what you will actually see from the Yukon offense uh, anywhere. Um, it's uh, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with how it came out. There's diagrams of the plays. There are obviously my usual gifts that are in there of what you are going to see. Um, I, I think that if you want to know more about the schematics that go into Utah State's football games, uh, the $10 subscription tier, the flagship tier, $10 a month, uh, is for you. I think that you would enjoy it. I think that it is something that, that hopefully will, will uh, enlighten people a little bit more as to what actually goes into the games that Utah State is playing. I think it's interesting. I had a lot of fun putting it together. If you want to uh, maybe give that tier a try, but you're not quite ready to commit $10 a month, I know that $10 a month is a lot to ask. I, I understand. And, and so if you want to try that for free, uh, there's a button at the top of that post that offers one free month of the flagship tier. I've talked about it on here every episode. Uh, that button is also, if I have done my job correctly, um, that button is also in this podcast post on the website, which you're looking at, uh, presumably right now, it should be in your inbox if you are a subscriber um, uh, of, of any form. That goes even to uh, free subscribers, but uh, your support would be greatly appreciated. Your support keeps the ag ship going. Um, we are getting into the part of the year now where I'm going to be able to do some really cool stuff and I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff including those film previews every week as well as film reviews every week. Uh, look back at the game that just happened to understand better why it happened, how it happened, whatever it might be that happened. Um, those will be weekly and those are only for the flagship tier subscribers. Agship tier subscribers, which is the $6 tier, get everything else. All of the uh, There's a, a regular Yukon preview that went out this week that was uh, 3000 some words. There are player features. There was a depth chart that went out, I think, to everybody. That might have just been flagship tier subscribers as well. Um, but uh, agship tier subscribers will get, for example, my post game, usually Sunday morning. Uh, kind of cover story, looking back at the game that just happened and sort of newspaper style writing about it. Not really a recap. In fact, not at all a recap. I don't like recaps and I'm not going to do them. Um, but a, uh, a reflection of what we learned, of what we are still wondering about, of the overarching storyline from the game. It'll be good, I promise. I've, I've done a lot of these, <laughs> these, uh, these style of cover stories I spent the last season doing them every week at, uh, at Ohio State. They're fun. They're fun to put together. Uh, I, I think that you will like them. If you like uh, the kind of coverage that The Athletic does is the comparison that I always make, uh, I think you'll like those. And so your support 
is greatly appreciated, especially at this time. This is, uh, to be honest with you, kind of an important time for me, kind of an important time for the ag ship. Um, it's, uh, you know, hard to start a new site. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a lot. It's, it's starting from ground zero, and the early support has been delightful. The early uh, buy-in from Utah State fans has been just truly heartening, as I've said before. Um, if you like the Ag Ship, if you subscribe to the Ag Ship, and you, you know, think that it is valuable to you as a Utah State fan, and you have friends who are, uh, you know, alumni or, or even current students or, or, you know, fans of the team, whatever it might be, um, letting them know about the egg ship as well is, is much appreciated. I, I know that that's also a lot to ask. It's not always fun to tell your friends and family about this, this website that you like, but uh, it really is appreciated if you want to share posts, if you want to share the podcast, whatever it is, uh, that is always, always appreciated uh, sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Uh, so if you do support the site financially thank you very very much and if not i would love to have you uh you can try that one month free my cat is also uh, very excited about this he really wants you to try it as well um this week i'm not going to uh, do too much more here because uh, this cat is freaking out but um i'm joined this week by a uh, a special guest a uh, long time uh, I guess, expert in Yukon athletics, uh, who I am going to uh, kick it over to right now with my, my interview. Uh, so I will speak to you all uh, on Sunday with the recap. All right, I'm joined now by Luke Swanson of yukonhuskyfootball.substack.com, uh, yukonblog.com, and uh, Luke from 2011 on Twitter. Uh, he is the, I'm going to say the foremost Yukon football expert, which you can uh, take as a, as a character assessment as much as it is a statement of fact. Luke, how's it going? I'm not sure whether you just gave me a compliment or gave me the gravest <laughs> insult, Patrick. It's up to you. Is knowing about Yukon <laughs> football a good thing? It's hard to say. <laughs> See, it's you're you're either knowledgeable or you're you're cursed with knowledge. Yeah, it's 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 hard to describe, but I, I'm doing well, Patrick. Uh, we're gearing up for the season at, at UConn. Uh, currently, we're in the uh, stage of excitement. As much as uh, a program like UConn can feel excitement, uh, it goes to show that uh, everyone's really not that different uh, across fan bases across uh, the world of college football. Yeah, I've I've seen some of that, and I actually I want to start with the man who it seems like a lot of UConn fans are uh, excited about, which I did not expect. Uh, Jim Mora, he's the the new head coach at UConn. Uh, there was a story out as we record this on August twenty uh, third. There's a story out today in CT Insider about his hiring, um, and I, I have to talk about it. it this story is is ridiculous. Um, how did this hiring sort of come about, given that? he has uh, no ties to the program or really the area or uh, even like the East part of the country at all. Um, why is he, why is he here? Well, I believe you called it uh, last year, I think, or it was January. I forget when, uh, when I was on the, uh, the podcast, but mm. when he was initially hired, uh, it kind of, there, there were rumblings of it sort of being a country club hire. The initial circumstances of how it came about aren't exactly typical, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Our athletic director, Dave Benedict, flew out to Mora's Idaho compound 
and I interviewed him there for a couple of days. Just, uh, just, just two bros hanging out. Mm-hmm. Two bros hanging out and uh, negotiating without agents for the contract to uh, come coach at UConn, a place that, like you said, Morris never really been around a whole lot in the the East Coast, Northeast area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was the initial circumstances, and the fact that it occurred sort of quickly after Edsel's uh, re- quote-unquote retirement slash, uh, slash being forced out mm-hmm. was a little suspect. And the fact that there didn't seem to be a whole lot of other candidates for the job that weren't uh, sort of sort of made up in the mind of uh, bloggers. So that was initially a little suspect. And then, it, it, as you said, uh, this week article comes out that um, they uh, our athletic director, Dave Benedict's, Got uh, the tip from Noel Mazzoni, mm-hmm. uh, for famously a friend of Jim Mora. Yeah, and uh, Noel Mazzoni had only been hired as an offensive consultant, uh, as a remote offensive consultant uh, over <laughs> Zoom, I believe, for a couple of weeks after uh, after Edsel's departure. Mm-hmm. And his first time on campus, the first time Benedict is ever meeting this guy Mazzoni in his life in person. Mazzoni is like, oh, you should hire my buddy. And Benedict gets in his head and he can't let it go. And so, uh, like I said, he flies out to Idaho and negotiates with Mora with no agents present. So if all of that is totally fine and cool and something that uh, something that your program should be doing, uh, I'm glad to uh, report that you have an appointment with the Walden inspector. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, UConn's athletic director has a weekly uh, meeting with the wallet inspector. <laughs> I think he's going to return some of these wallets someday. Um, yeah, and interestingly, Noel Mazzoni, who is a ostensibly an offensive coach, is not on the staff here. He's he's working. Oh at, no, I believe in the USFL, uh, which is probably where he belongs because he's not very good at coaching offense anymore. Um, but there there are a lot of kind Kind of uh, familiar faces on the staff, a lot of guys with regional ties, which makes sense because Jim Mora, as we have established, has never been to Connecticut, uh, did not live in Connecticut. Seemingly his first time in Connecticut as was uh, taking the job, probably the introductory press conference. Um, but there are a lot of guys on the staff who do have ties to the area. Uh, how has that sort of played in the first nine months of this tenure or so as, uh, you know, recruiting and, and just in general, what's your impression of this, uh, this staff that he's built? Well, they had do that. That's the thing. He has really built a, a pretty decent staff, a defensive backs coach, Dolan Hilliard. He is a, a kind of an ace recruiter on the defensive staff and, and between him and the linebackers coach, Tariki Diabate, they're both going to sort of take a bigger uh, bigger step on, uh, towards coaching this defense in the fall, as all we'll get to later. But initially just hired as uh, as two kind of recruiting-oriented coaches, uh, don't have a whole lot of uh, coaching experience before you before UConn. Uh, those are two pretty decent hires. Uh, offensive coordinator Nick Charlton, uh, I kind of make this comparison all the time. He's sort of like the, uh, the Northeast version of Matt Canada, mm-hmm. which – uh, some may call troubling, <laughs> but it, it's really more in in terms of the bigger the role he has in the team, the less people like him. It, and the evidence for that is his head coaching tenure in Maine, mm-hmm. where it uh, didn't really go quite as well as his offensive coordinator tenure 
uh, at Maine, which was tremendously received. He was uh, OC over, uh, and uh, please correct me in this pronunciation, Joe Harasimiak. Yeah, the new defensive coordinator at Rutgers, formerly of Minnesota. I, yeah. I believe that that's correct for the pronunciation. Yeah, so he was uh, the offensive coordinator under him when they uh, went to the uh, semifinal in FBS, mm-hmm. in FCS, excuse me. And it's not a, a school that has a ton of recruiting advantages, so to get that far was more of a more of a coaching effort, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So it seems he's a good offensive coordinator, and then when it comes to head coaching, he isn't so much of a leader of men. Mm-hmm. But in terms of getting hired as, a, as an OC for UConn, um, I'd say it's a good hire. I'd say you're going to see a lot of, but again, Matt Canada esque uh, pre snap movements, a lot of uh, running, uh, window dressing to set up the play action pass. I think that's, uh, that's from what I've seen, that's sort of something that he's going to be trying to do. He's actually showed a lot of versatility as an OC mm-hmm. in his career at Maine. He's had some offenses when he where he's aired it out, and then later in his uh, career, he's uh, worked with some more mobile quarterbacks, which works a little bit better with uh, what UConn has. Uh, on their team this year but the funny thing i'll say about morris fit at uconn is you know how nebraska uh hiring the replacement for bo polini they mm-hmm. went out and hired the nicest guy they yeah. could find yeah so uconn recently fired uh not fired uh let go a uh, real northeast kind of not very nice not very nice guy uh, randy edsel very standoffish with the media sort of uh did obligations, uh, marketing obligations. He took it as sort of a chore and didn't really do a whole lot of them. Uh-huh. And so UConn goes out and hires this West Coast guy. And <laughs> since he's from the West Coast, everyone in the Northeast is like, oh, this guy didn't flip me off at practice today. He's the greatest. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's sort of been the story, like with his interactions with the fans and the media and the marketing. He's been really good in that aspect. And I'm just questioning how much of that is a lot of it's his actual nature and a lot of it is uh people from the northeast like oh my god this guy's so nice he, he didn't he didn't honk the horn at me when i uh when i was looking at my phone at the stop sign yeah <laughs> um that's so funny to think of jim mora as being like nice i've never i i had not considered that as a as even a possibility <laughs> jim mora being it, like a nice guy I, at his press conferences at the at the media scrums he just radiates just like west coast cool hmm. and all, all the uh, the Yukon media they're just completely enraptured mm-hmm. it's like uh it's like point break it's like it's like Keanu and uh um Bodie mm-hmm. they're just they're in, inseparable they're yeah gonna... that that's uh that's wild yeah I had, I had not considered that um so you you mentioned uh you mentioned Charlton I want to I want to talk about him a little bit because I have gone through and I actually watched an entire main football game uh yesterday um, he is big on the, the vertical play action. He is sort of of the, uh, the guy who he has mentioned specifically is Ryan Day, who he worked with at Boston College. He is very much of the Ryan Day tree on, uh, on vertical play action on that, on that as his sort of primary goal of the passing attack. Um, c- could you sort of, who, who is, uh, who's competing at quarterback and are any of them guys who do you think, who you think could like handle that, who can throw the ball down the field accurately and successfully off of play action, uh, consistently. So the quarterback room looks great on paper. You have a former Penn state backup quarterback. You have a, a guy 
uh, in Zion Turner, who came, who comes from St. Thomas Aquinas uh, football powerhouse in, in Florida, sort of overlooked for his size and the fact that he has thrown to top-level talent all his life, basically. Mm-hmm. And now, as a side note, I, I don't really understand how that could be a, a negative when, if anything, I think that it's a positive that you get to, I think it's sort of an iron sharpens iron yeah kind of situation i'm not really explaining it the best way that i can but i think that it's a situation where he's been unfairly overlooked and the penn state backup of referencing is uh taquan robertson mm-hmm. but so having those two guys it, it, competing for a starting position along with a guy in tower pumachan who uh sort of gave husky fans a little something to be excited for at, at the end of last year numbers don't really jump off the page but is is play style very exciting chaotic mm-hmm. sort of fun just sort of a shot in the arm that he needs to get excited in a in a long losing season so those three guys in theory should make up a for a great quarterback competition and i guess the quarterback composition competition itself has been uh as advertised it's it's been heated and no one's been able to separate themselves from the pack and uh all of these three guys have made some mistakes, made some uh, throwing errors in, in fall camp. None of them have really separated uh, from one another, uh, haven't been altogether super accurate. And I think that's it's sort of a disappointment, uh, especially in, in Robertson's case. I think a lot of UConn fans were expecting him to be more of the finished product, whereas well, we kind of did see in his limited time at, uh, at Penn State in relief of Clifford that you know, wasn't exactly the case. And yeah. To be honest, the fact that he, he was a highway title record and couldn't really beat out Sean Clifford for a starting job is also sort of a means to mean, means for concern. Mm-hmm. But I think that the quarterback competition is going to continue into the, the first couple of weeks. I, I wouldn't be surprised in the first week against Utah State to see uh, them trot both uh, Taquan and uh, Turner out there as, as much as I'd, want it, I'd hope it to be on the same play. Uh, ULM style. I, I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, be my pipe dream, but um, yeah, I, I can see them trying out different looks with different, different, uh, different guys. Uh, continue the competition into the season, which isn't ideal, but I think that that's just the situation heading out of fall camp. No one's really separated from the pack. Mm-hmm. In uh, in sort of a surprise move, as far as I have gathered, and and just personally seems like kind of surprising Robert Burns was listed as the starting halfback on the depth chart that was listed uh, that was put out uh, today instead of uh, kind of burgeoning star sophomore Nathan Carter um what's the deal there is that sort of like just acknowledging a an older player or do you think that this is uh, actually the way that things are going to go honestly there wasn't really any rumblings of a running back battle in camp I, I Carter took most of the snaps with the ones that I, I was aware of aware of so I'm of the of the uh, camp that it could be some sort of injury, something's bothering Carter, causing uh, Burns to be listed ahead of him. But uh, UConn does have sort of a, a checkered recent history with running backs. Uh, Kevin Mensa in 2018 and 2019 had two 1,000-yard rushing seasons mm-hmm. and was pretty well on his way to, to be on course to breaking the rushing record set by Donald Brown, of all people. Yeah, Really the greatest football player in UConn history. And uh, last year was benched for Carter. Yeah. There's really no other way to put it. And so 
Uh, I'm hoping that's not the case again this year. Uh, again, there's probably not too much correlation between those two situations. Other different coach, yeah. different players, different situation coming off of the uh, 2020 where UConn took the year off due to COVID and uh, was the New York New York Times national champion. Hmm. If uh, if I can remind you of that, so <laughs> that's uh, uh I've always Dominion said I want to take it back. Yeah, <laughs> I've always said we wanted to, we we got to take it back to when the newspapers were decided the national champions. Yeah, championship. Uh, enough of this playoff. Who yeah. needs it? Yeah, we need the New York Times. We need uh, Ross Duthat to to name the national champion every year. Um, it's the only accurate way to get a champion. So something else that I noticed in watching is that that Charlton is kind of big on zone running with a lot of counter sort of sprinkled in. Um, how do these backs fit that? I know Carter is from from what I have seen. Uh, rapid. He is. He's very quick, not very big. Um, how does how does somebody like Robert Burns fit into that? And, and what do you see as sort of the? Uh, is this a team that can handle that kind of thing? Does the line you know have the ability to handle that kind of thing? I think based on last year, the line it, it might take a couple games for them to really get used to this new, this new, uh, these new. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Installs these new, mm-hmm. uh, this new system just because it's. An experienced, it's kind of an experienced O-line. There's a, a lot of guys here that do have starting experience. Whether that's good starting experience r- remains to be seen. I do think the addition of uh, uh, center Jake Guidon uh, is a really good one. It's, it's really the guy, the kind of guy that you want UConn to go out and get. Because uh, you, you talk about it a lot. Uh, the amount of talent in the Ivy Leagues is just tremendous. Yeah. And if you could get a, uh, an all-Ivy League player, especially in an area of need to come to your school. I think that's, it's really the sort of mold that UConn should be looking for. So I think his addition to the offensive line will, will certainly help things, especially at a position so important as center will really help them uh, sort of adapt to this new system. It, in terms of the running backs, I think I, I haven't really seen a whole lot of burns. I think he's, he's a good physical runner. I, I think I'm interested in what Carter has to offer. It, with these uh, with these sort of plays, he's got really good vision and speed, like you mentioned, that I, I think would allow him to to thrive in sort of a sort of a run heavy uh, run heavy to set up the play action offense. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in that. I guess the, the him not being in the starter sort of throws a wrench into things, but I I'm confident in his talent, and I think that he'll end up getting more touches in the first game, and if not the first game in the season as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I think that he he might be the biggest beneficiary of this. Now, is it the best sign that he's not named the starter learning a new offense? And could that be a sign of him maybe having trouble adapting, whereas a more experienced guy like Burns might have an easier time adapting? Mm-hmm. That could also be the case. But I, I don't think it's all bad news for, for uh, Carter and the, and the running backs in the offensive line. Yeah, for first week depth chart does not necessarily set the uh, the the stage for for everything. I would expect if he is healthy, we will probably still see a lot of Nate Carter on on Saturday. Um, yeah, a, 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 and, and he's a young guy, and yeah. that's one thing. Another thing to remember with this this UConn team, as I'm sure you notice as you look into the depth depth chart, there's not a whole lot of experience here. Yeah, and but believe it or not, they're in a much better place than they have been in previous years, where all those sophomores were freshmen. All those juniors are sophomores, so yeah, it's still not ideally where you want to be as a program. I uh, I think it's I think that's putting it mildly, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that uh, it, it's it is getting better, and 
if we're going to see a leap from any of these guys who started as freshmen and had a rough go of it, but now have a full off season to, to sort of prepare for a starting role of sophomores, I, I think that's uh, this year's when we would see it. Yeah. If, ever. if, uh, if memory serves, it was 19 underclassmen just on the offense on the two deep, which is a lot. It's, it's, yep. a, it's a lot, but also yep. a lot of those guys played last year. So it's not like you have, you know, entirely yeah. new faces. Um, somebody on this offense who I think kind of stands to uh, really benefit from the new uh, coaching staff would be Brandon Neminski. Is that, I, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, the tight end, mm-hmm. uh, because this is an offense that really, really likes to get the tight end involved, uh, be it as a as sort of a gadget player, as a receiver, and uh, as a kind of a primary motion man. Most plays that I saw that May ran um, I watched him against Albany. Most plays featured the tight end uh, being used in motion. Um, how does he sort of uh, how does he sort of fit that? He's a big, big body. Uh, how do you how do you think he handles that? Honestly, it's going to be a trial by fire for him this year. He hasn't caught a whole lot of passes. He hasn't had a, a, a ton of snaps. He's behind been behind some pretty big names mm-hmm. uh, or some pretty big names at least in in UConn history uh, at tight end and. This year, it's really sink or swim for the guy. Yeah, I think that it's it's. I could he, he's got the tools. I think that he he there, there is talent there. He he's got good size. He's he's a pretty he's pretty athletic. I mean, not not the most athletic tight end in the world, but he's he can he, he can run a route. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that this year it, it's really it, it's a very good opportunity for him to showcase his skills, and uh, I think that uh, if he doesn't take it i think that there's guys in the wings really kind of waiting to waiting to take it from him to be honest mm-hmm. uh i think converted from defensive end nick harris mm-hmm. yeah nick harris uh, it's converted from defensive end last year uh which strange move on the whole considering the gigantic lack of depth on the defensive line this year yeah but I think they really do see something at him at tight end. He's a guy who's really impressed in camp. Mm-hmm. So I think that UConn kind of has a, a a couple guys in Naminsky and Harris that could potentially potentially step into that role. Is there a a receiver here who you think would deserve sort of extra attention from the Utah State defense? It's a uh, it's a young group out there as well, with the exception of Nigel Fitzgerald uh, transfer in from from Old Dominion. Is there a guy out there who really you think could present some some problems for the Utah State defense? So UConn's receiving group is kind of in an interesting position. There's been a couple guys who've who've shown real breakout years and just had them cut short due to injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a quick bench for a guy, Cam Ross, who uh, at, at wide receiver last year showed a lot of promise, had, had a couple big yardage games, mm-hmm. and then broke his foot last year at the end of the season. Then uh, a really unfortunate situation this offseason, he uh, came in and he broke his other foot, so he's out for the year. Yeah. He would he would have been one of those guys had he stayed healthy. Unfortunately, just hope he gets better for next year. Uh, in, in last year, the, the sort of breakout star was Keelan, Keelan Marion. Mm-hmm. And you look at his stats, it's nothing really crazy, but he, he really he, he showed a deep threat in a team that didn't have a quarterback who could consistently get him the ball. Yeah, He had has a lot of speed. The, the UConn offense last year, kind of nonsensically relied on a lot of screens i think a lot because the offensive line just wasn't capable of walking anybody mm-hmm. and 
that was the next logical step for that offensive staff. But he, he really shown uh, when uh, when he got the ball in those in those situations that he, he has a lot of speed and he's got good footwork. And I think he's a guy that could potentially pose a deep threat for uh, uh, for Utah State. I know just from my, my research, Utah State, that's maybe the one area that they were vulnerable last year was in giving up big plays. Mm-hmm. And I think that if UConn really wants to keep this game close at all, they're going to have to, like you said, get a quarterback who can check it down the field and complete some passes and, uh, and provide that big play threat. And uh, not totally confident that they have a guy. Another guy, uh, Matt Drayton, in 2019, him and uh, Cam Ross, uh, previously mentioned, were the two uh, leading receivers in that 2019 season before the COVID shutdown. Uh-huh. And he, he was kind of second fiddle to Ross, but he still had a, uh, had a decent season for himself. And, uh, yes, those are those are really the two guys that uh, I would say Utah State should be uh-huh. sort of wary of at receiver. Not A couple guys, uh, transfers who, again, have sort of impressed in camp. John Harrison from Texas uh-huh. coming off a, a pretty nasty injury. If memory serves correctly, he's he's coming to come into preseason camp and really, really kind of showed off his speed and his footwork as sort of a combo, as a combo back and receiver out of the slot. So he's another guy, maybe not so much a deep threat, but he's a guy who, who I expect to get some touches mm-hmm. in the first game. A uh, a big part of this this first staff was Lou Spanos, uh, interim head coach last year, defensive coordinator uh, for I believe three seasons, well two seasons, but three years. Um, he announced a leave of absence uh, about a week ago. Um, what what's going on there? What what is the? Uh, I I don't know how much is known about that, but what is the uh, what's the feeling with Spanos right now? A lot of people are wondering the same thing, and uh, see the rumors. Uh, coming out of the program, nothing I can really say for sure, but yep. it's not good. The vibes are are not really that good. Mm. That departure, it's seen as him sort of uh, being politely shown the door, at least for the season, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't confirmed or anything really in anywhere official, but it's just naturally anytime if it's a coordinator, leaves this close to the season or, or something afoot. And since they didn't come out and say it was uh it was sort of a personal, a personal thing. Mm-hmm. It's, that's uh, really the only other direction you can take it or one of the only other directions you can take it. Uh, there, I don't know if you cast your mind back to last season, there was a, a sort of a viral moment, one of the few viral moments at UConn football last year where uh, there was a, uh, a huddle that he was involved and he broke up and all the players looked totally disinterested, disinterested, no one put their hand in and they all just kind of sulked away. Uh It it sort of got a few, a couple hundred retweets and they, uh, a a bunch of players immediately took to Twitter and defended their boy Spanos. And they're like, that's not, it's totally taken out of context. That's not what it looks like. And uh, turn the calendar down to uh, 2022. None of those players who defended him on Twitter are actually with the program anymore. Hmm. So there, I think that there were, there were definitely signs and there were, I think retaining him was a mixture of trying to, to keep some semblance of a upper recruiting class and, uh, and the players on the team currently together mm-hmm. and mixed back there. A lot, like I said, a lot of guys did leave 
uh, that were that were big fans of him his and uh i think it was that combined with the fact that uh, i'd imagine mora was down to down to maybe one of his last choices on defensive coordinator maybe didn't got, get the guys that they wanted to mm-hmm. specifically in that in that position so it just sort of a weird situation overall and uh him departing the depart, departing the program if only temporarily just uh, less than two weeks before the season doesn't really do anything to uh, a fan or to put out the flames of mm-hmm. uh speculation so just a very odd situation overall now do i think they're going to suffer greatly because of it i can't really tell you that they will just Mm. because Mora is a defensive guy i think that just my opinion i think he might have ended up calling the plays defensive plays anyways even if spanos had stayed Mm. and like i mentioned earlier there there are a couple a couple good rising star defensive assistants that can pick up some of the slack in practice so I think in a lot of programs, it's it'd be like a nightmare worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. But for UConn, I, I think that it's maybe not as big of a big of a blow. It, it's hard to hard to hard to deal a blow to the program any any worse than the, the college football world's dealt to them over the past 10 years. So yeah. you can't kill me. I'm already dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you sort of expect then from this defense schematically? Mora uh, historically has been a big proponent of man coverage, but that's not something that UConn did a whole lot of last year. Uh, how do you see him sort of uh, installing his defense here? What do you expect from these guys? Well, they're gonna well they're gonna run a three four, and I think that the man coverage might not play to the strength of uh, the defensive backs currently on the. The squad i don't it, it's hard to say like if it's the weakest if it's one of the weaker if it's the weakest area on the team but it's certainly not a strength mm-hmm. i'd say that they're going to re- rely on sending some pressure to uh, keep, keep the opposing quarterbacks sort of off balance and to, to give a give the defensive backs a little more a little more room to work with mm-hmm. in that respect but it, it's going to be tough to do that without blitzing a ton yeah. because uh, as you've probably seen, UConn lost a very good portion of their good offensive linemen. I'd say all of their good offensive linemen are no longer, or sorry, defensive linemen, all mm-hmm. of their good defensive linemen are no longer with the uh, team. Yeah. So getting pressure, otherwise it's going to be an uphill battle. They did uh, strengthen the outside linebackers pretty heavily in the transfer portal. Uh, the addition of uh, Brandon Boyer Randall from Texas Tech, Texas Tech, originally of a uh, Michigan State, which I'm sure I don't know if you remember, he was a recruit back in 2016. Oh my gosh, that would have so this been, guy. I think that was the the Michigan State class that destroyed Mark D'Antonio's tenure, if memory serves. So, so troubling vibes, troubling <laughs> vibes from this guy. In addition, so in addition to playing uh, linebacker at Texas Tech, was also a part of that part of that Michigan state team. So uh, he's, he's been around a while. He has a ton of starts under his belt. He's the guy that uh, more is going to be looking for, for leadership on the defense. Uh, and then another guy, Marquez Marquez Bembry, who mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm pretty significantly the highest on out of all the uh, guys that UConn got through the transfer portal. Yeah. I think that if you're playing linebacker for Kentucky, I think that you're doing something right. And even if you can't consist, uh, even if you can't consistently get in the team, uh, the guy uh, was a was a 
consistent rotation player before he uh, an injury last year sort of mm-hmm. sort of limited his snaps. So when looking for a new challenge, I think that uh, that's definitely the kind of guy that UConn should be targeting to bolster their team through the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I think that I know that it, it's relying on P five rejects is not always a not always a great strategy, but I think a guy like Bembry is is sort of the right guy that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Another guy that could find his way into the into the defense uh, is uh, Chris Sheeran from Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a lot of a lot of good buzz around him uh, throughout camp. He's, he wasn't named a starter if memory serves correctly, but I think that he'll definitely be uh, part of some looks that they, that they go with mm-hmm. on defense. And there, there's definitely a different dynamic with bringing in uh, P5 castoffs who have played like significantly, like yeah. the, 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 the two that you mentioned. These are guys who sort of were in the starting lineup or in the rotation and kind of fell out largely for reasons outside of their mm-hmm. control. I, I think that that's definitely different than like even somebody like, and this is not the most extreme example. There are far more extreme examples like in the state of Florida, all of the group of five schools there are doing this for some yeah. reason. Um, but even like, like a, uh, like a Taquan Roberson is, is somebody who's not played a ton at the college level, but these guys like they played power five football. They just, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, weren't around the, you know, to, to stick for their full careers. Yeah. Um, so th- there's at least some defensive stability here, largely in the middle of the defense. Um, the the two guys who uh, who come to mind being Jackson Mitchell and uh, Durante Jones, uh, linebacker and safety, respectively. Uh, but the rest of the defense is fairly unproven. What is, what is the strength here? Is there a strength of this defense? Is it just Jackson Mitchell in the linebacker room, or is there there something else that that people should be kind of interested in? I think the strength is really going to be just the tackling and I want to say run defense, but the defensive line is not proven in that aspect. So I think that the, the run defense and really coverage on from the linebacker side of things, I think, like you said, the middle of the defense is, is a kind of an area of strength. I think Jones is a tremendous tackler hmm. for being a safety. I think that the middle um, linebackers Swenson or sorry Ian Swenson and Jackson Mitchell Ian Swenson is a very underrated player on this UConn defense I think that Jackson Mitchell he, he he's team captain he does a lot of media media appearances he's a, really a, a very good guy great great personality mm-hmm. but him and a guy like Swenson they're they're two guys that really UConn should use as a mold if this project is going to continue for the, the foreseeable future. Guys like those two who, who stick it out, uh, the upperclassmen, and just are really solid players amount, uh, around with, uh, sorry, that are surrounded by just a, a sort of whirlwind of total crap. Mm-hmm. Those two guys are, are really just have kind of been the solid rocks. And like I said, tremendous knows for the football very good tacklers uh swenson good in the pass coverage as well converted defensive back as well also a guy who is a backup right now but has a lot of starting experience hunter webb mm-hmm. he'll uh, be rotating in at, at linebacker uh, both inside and outside linebacker he, he's another guy who uh, i think has a lot of the same skill sets and, and has and can really get after the football very good in pursuit and i think that the guys like that those three guys have been at UConn for very bad times, but they're, they're pretty good players. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I don't think they're going to get drafted or anything, but they're just solid players who uh, it, it's very good that they stuck around and they'll be important to UConn's efforts in, in stopping that potent Utah State run game, I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about how that will play out because a lot of Utah State's offense, a lot of like especially the quick passing game and, and most of the rushing attack is predicated around reading linebackers. It's it's a lot of mm-hmm. RPO stuff. It's a lot of, and you know, those require reading the linebackers. So I, I think that if you're going to have a defensive strength, obviously it would be better to have probably more than one defensive strength. But I, I think that if you're going to pick one, having linebackers who are experienced and, and smart and sort of know how to handle situations like that is, is probably a pretty good one to pick if you're if you're playing against this uh this, this team the the thing that i would be more worried about it is in looking at this is what happens once utah state's receivers uh clear the second level and are you know uh, single coverage or, or left relatively alone with guys on the outside or Mm-hmm. Um, this this defensive line, like you mentioned, trying to create pressure. I, I, I like Sequoia McDuffie, defensive tackle transfer from Old Dominion, but there's not like a ton here uh, on the on the defensive line that I, I feel especially confident in. No, certainly not. Uh, Travis Jones, obviously tremendous, tremendous player. Uh, uh, all reports are saying he's, he's lighting it up. Uh, with the Ravens in in the preseason over there, I'm really happy for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy like Uwal Ugwak, he's uh, going to be really good for uh, Gillespie or Joe Gillespie at TCU. Mm-hmm. And uh, a guy that they had penciled into a starting uh, remains to be seen whether he'd be a, a D tackle or an outside linebacker. I think he can do both. But uh, Kavon Jones uh, had had a lot of snaps. Uh, maybe UConn's best pass rush threat last year mm-hmm. uh no longer with the team for personal reasons they didn't really go into it any more detail than that but that's honestly just as big of a loss as those other two i mentioned and uh it leaves yukon pretty bare on mm-hmm. the defensive line mm-hmm. uh demont gordine he's pretty decent uh, uh stopper can he eat a couple double teams at nose tackle but remains to show a whole lot more than that uh mcduff mcduffie i like He's kind of like a bizarro UConn player. He uh, had a lot of a lot of number stats on a very very bad team. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and then Eric Watts, uh, the UConn's real only pass rushing threat or proven pass rushing threat on the defensive line as of right now, still didn't really get after the quarterback a whole lot last yeah. year. Yeah. So it's not not really something you love to see, but. And that's why they're likely going to have to rely on a, a couple of blitzes, a lot of uh, rushing uh, for more guys. Yeah, my my expectation is it's sort of a uh, empty the playbook and see what you have kind of game yeah. for UConn on, on probably on either side of the ball. Nick Nick Charlton has a lot of uh, kind of reverses and double reverses that he seems to like. I would not be surprised if we see a lot of those, and I, I think that Jim Moore might be kind of. Uh, leading heavily on some exotic looks defensively because it's just the uh, you know the, the, you got to find a way to land some punches. Yeah. Um, what is your sort of uh, you, you don't have to give a score if you don't have one at the top of your mind, but what is your sort of expectation for this game? What is your your prediction for what we're going to see on Saturday? I think I said this on the uh, UConn or the the Husky football podcast. Uh, I think that UConn in recent years they've been uh, been real fans of getting palindromed. 
So my effective score prediction was uh, 41-14. Mm. Classic, uh, classic palindrome score. Yeah. They all know and love. That would have them covering the DraftKings 27.5 point spread. There you go. Uh, a fun fact, and I'm going to go into my uh, my Jim Nance voice here. Mm. Uh, for those of you for, uh, interesting to some, <laughs> UConn was 6-6 six and six against the spread last year. Huh. So... It's not all so, that. Uh, beware, <laughs> beware when uh, when putting your money on uh, on the fight in UConn Huskies. But yeah, my prediction is that UConn is going to have to come out swinging if they want to really land anything against Utah State. They're going to have to, like you said, empty the playbook. They're going to have to uh, chuck a deep and see what happens. A uh, couple trick plays, a lot of window dressing. I think nabs them a couple scores potentially against Utah State. A uh, team where the defense might have a little gelling to do, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately they're not going to be able to stop Utah State from scoring. Yeah, I don't even think really a little bit. So I think it's going to be high scoring. I think that UConn does get a couple. They do get a couple scores in. So I, I think it's around the around the forty something to twenty something range. Mm-hmm. All right, where can uh, I mentioned it earlier? But where can people find you? Follow me on Twitter at Luke from 2011. You'll get a lot of UConn stuff, probably more than you want. And uh, you can give our new newsletter a fall. It's uh, UConnHuskyFootball.substack.com. And uh, go check out my work at the UConn blog. You can tell very creative names here mm-hmm. over in Connecticut. Uh, it's just the UConnBlog.com. And yeah, it was a pleasure talking with you today, Patrick. Yep, yep. It will be uh, uh, exciting to have football to watch again, even if this is maybe not the most uh, competitive game in the world. Uh, Luke Swanson, once again, thank you for for, uh, joining the show and uh, look forward to uh, (laughs) to, to maybe talking some ball this weekend. Um, Make sure everybody uh, everybody go check out Luke's stuff. I will link to all of it in the... uh, in the description of this post and I will be back uh, with the uh, recap show on Sunday first recap show of the year it'll be it'll be fun